0: Yes, it is, in fact, glorious. It is that time of the year once again where the Basement Talk podcast is in full NFL draft. Swing, mood, vibe, whatever you want to call it. Ed Burtzall, Jake Simone joined. As usual, we are back. The crew is back together after a little mix-up from last week. Before we get to Jake, I did this on the basement talk podcast fantasy show. I'm going to do it on here as well. The plan for the next couple of weeks as we gear up towards the NFL draft, which when you hear this, it's probably going to be Thursday. So when you hear this, we're going to be two weeks away from the NFL draft. So what we're doing tonight, we are covering the NFL draft, the offensive prospects. Jake and I are going to go through our top five. At each position group, we're going to give you who we like, who we don't like, team fits, things like that. We're going to cover everything imaginable. Next week, we'll be getting to defensive players, so it'll be more of a defensive show. Next week, where we do the same thing, just with the opposite side of the ball. And then the following week, what you will be hearing on the Basement Talk podcast, and then the Basement Talk podcast fantasy show as well, is you will be hearing the mock draft, where it will be myself, it'll be Jake. And it'll be Adam getting together and doing one big mock draft. And we promise it will not be three hours. So hopefully that'll be enough content to get through. And then Jake and I maybe will do a basement talk podcast before the draft. And then Adam and I might do a basement talk podcast fantasy show for after the draft where Jake and I will be doing both predictions. And then Adam and I will be doing more round one wrap up, things like that. So enough of me rambling. Jake on a scale of one to infinity. How excited are you to finally be talking about the NFL draft in this podcast?
1: Yeah, it's like an infinity and one, to be honest with you. <laughs> like I absolutely love the draft and I love uh, the buildup for the draft. It's absolutely incredible. And a big credit to the NFL for building it up to be as big as it is, because you could argue that this is the most exciting time of the year in football because it involves all 32 fan bases and, um, Obviously, a lot of people watch college football, too. So it's incredible. Again, shout out to uh, Roger Goodell in the NFL. You don't say that too often. No, you don't. And I'm really excited. The draft is uh, a special time of year for me. I I get more excited for the NFL draft than I do for Christmas morning now that I'm uh, (laughs) a grown up, no longer a little kid. So it, it really does feel like Christmas. It's like you're unwrapping the presents under the tree. You find out where all these guys that you watch for months, you hear about for months and. You do your mock drafts and it's, it's really crazy. And I, I love it. And, and it, then become, you get that feeling when it's over, like, ah, it's all over now. It's like, well, the presents are gone on Christmas day night. You know, it's, and, it's kind of a shitty feeling.
0: And then become super defensive when your team takes them and you're trying to hide
1: all the flaws that most of yeah. these prospects
0: have. Cause there's no perfect prospect. There's no such thing.
1: No, no, but I'm, I'm pretty fair. If I'm pretty down on a prospect, like last year with the jets with Makai Becton, when they took him, I, I hated him coming out of Louisville. I, did not want him, uh, and I didn't hide from it. I said I don't really like him, but am I going to am I gonna root for him? Absolutely, and to be honest with you, I was pretty wrong about Beck. And yeah. I liked what I saw his rookie year, even though I didn't love him coming out. I think he was like my fourth or fifth-rated tackle last year, to be completely He was my fourth. Yeah, he, I think he was my fifth, so I was not high on him, but after the season, you could argue that he's, in he, he terms of best. a left tackle, he could have been
0: the best. So, I, I would say so. He was definitely better than our number one, which both of us had Andrew Thomas as number one.
1: I had Jedrick Wills as one, as one okay. and then I had Thomas as, like, my one A. That okay. makes sense. So All right, that's I had them really, really neck and neck, both obviously from the SEC. But my Andrew Thomas evaluation, I learned a lot for this year. And what I look for, my offensive lineman. I was wrong on Makai Becton, and, you know, we'll, we'll get into it more when we talk about these offensive linemen for this year. I'm excited about it.
0: Now, before we get into Deep Sleeper and we get into one quick question, which I have, and then we get into the prospects. Jake, I want to ask you a very simple question to start, because we have a listener question that I want to get to, but I have a question for you. And that is, we'll say, rule out your top 15 overall prospects. So guys that are 15 and above for you on your big board, rule them out. Outside of that, who is your favorite prospect in this draft? Wow, a um, very big and I'm, very
1: vague question. I know. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, it's Cardarius Tony out of Florida. Absolutely love the guy. I think he's going to be an absolute superstar in this league. I think a lot of people have him. Uh, they don't. They don't disrespect him in their rankings, but I think he's a lot closer to. I think Jamar Chase is far and away the best wide receiver in the draft. A little bit of a spoiler alert, but in terms of wide receiver two. And a lot of people have him as like wide receiver five, maybe four, six. I think he's a lot closer to wide receiver two than he is wide receiver five, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So I, I absolutely love Tony. And he is, uh, to me, now I guess it's a little bit, it's a little cheap because he's out. You said top 15. To me, he's a top 20 talent in this draft. Yeah, and I would sure. not bat an eye at all if uh, we'll get to fits and stuff like that. But he's going to be a, uh, a really dangerous player and I, I think he's going he could have the type of impact we saw like Justin Jefferson have for the Vikings last year with him like I love him love him love him love him
0: uh, and I'll answer the question too I'll keep it shorter since we have a lot of uh, stuff to get to but I'm gonna cheat as well on this because I do think it's a top 15 talent in this draft I know a lot of people he's like a borderline top 15 pick I know his teammate definitely gets more of a rep than he does but I think Jalen Phillips is just a superstar that's just ready to just bloom.
1: Yeah, yeah, we'll get into him, but I I love Jalen Phillips. Just the medicals are a a little bit of a red flag and kind of his commitment to football. But in terms of a raw ability standpoint, yeah, I'm right there with you.
0: Yeah. So we will get more into the defensive prospects next week. We will be talking about Cordarius Tony in this episode for sure because there is a lot to discuss with him because I know he's a big favorite of mine. And then now you all know that he is a big favorite of jake's but at the way we start every show regardless of what we're talking about regardless of what we're doing regardless of what mood we are in
1: death taxes deep sleeper jake what you got my deep sleeper i could have won a bevy of ways with this like tons i had i had a lot so we'd have to save them up but my deep sleeper has to be COVID vaccine side effects we have to have a quick conversation about that and for Um, everybody out there that's on the fence about the vaccine, I'll go over my story as briefly as I can. Basically, first off, I got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, which is currently off the shelf due to, I mean, it is what it is. I think it was like six blood, blood clots out of approximately 250,000 vaccines they gave out. Yeah. So obviously it's unfortunate. Exactly. But it'll be back. Like, it's not like it's being outlawed everywhere for ever. Right. So. You know, that, that's besides the point. So anyway, get the vaccine, one shot, feel perfectly fine. I do all my errands, all my running around. And all of a sudden, I'm, you know, unwinding for the day. I'm getting this freezing cold chill, like freezing. When I tell you freezing, like it felt like I was in a, I couldn't stop shivering, like uncontrollably. And then all of a sudden, more time goes on. I'm feeling very lightheaded and very weird. I'm like, I got to go lay down. Then that turns into back aches, like pains in like my foot and like my legs, my inner thighs. And I'm just like, what the hell? And then I just feel like sick. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, really, really sick. And then obviously I'm uh, hugging the bucket all night throwing up. I got about like maybe I couldn't even tell you how long I slept. I couldn't tell you an hour, maybe. You know, it was like I was awake, but asleep, if that makes sense. Oh, that makes a ton of sense. I I get it. It felt like that. And the next day it took me, uh, you know, I would say about a whole work day where, you know, the chills were under control. I couldn't eat anything basically the whole next day either. But this vaccine is no joke. But I know people that got the vaccines and had no side effects. It's just go in there with a uh, mindset that this could happen to you. But to prevent it, take your Tylenol after Take it before hydrate, 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 hydrate all day before you get that vaccine. Make sure you hydrate. Don't go in there, you know, on an empty stomach, no fluids. Just please prepare as best as you all can. And, you know, don't be afraid if you're feeling not like yourself after like it happens. You're not abnormal, but because this vaccine is is no joke at all. Bottom line.
0: Yeah, I mean, I know people that are on the far end of the spectrum one way and then far end of the spectrum the other way. And I mean, I can say that my my dad, my dad got both shots and he's 64. Nothing, nothing. Yep, Got both doses and he was completely fine. And him and my stepmom are going away to Florida on Friday. So good for them. But then I have another friend who she got it. And she was in the hospital with 105 fever.
1: Yeah, I was at 102.
0: Yeah. So it, it just it has different effects on on different people. But uh, I think the most important thing that everyone needs to definitely get behind is, you know, continue to be safe, continue to uh, wear your masks, continue to take care of your cells and, you know, get this damn vaccine so that we can move on from this terrible time in our lives, quite frankly.
1: Yeah, I would. You know, obviously, everyone can do what they want, but to me, I couldn't do two shots. I had to get the one shot. Yeah, no, I had had to do it.
0: Absolutely, different strokes for different folks, as I say.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. But glad to be all right, and uh, yeah, good to be all right.
0: Good to see that you are uh, back on your feet. Because I remember, I I think I had texted you, and you had said that you were just done.
1: Yeah, we couldn't do. We recorded a little bit later last week because yeah, I'm like, dude, I can't sit in a chair. Well, (laughs) I know.
0: We were supposed to record basement, uh, basement Talk podcast fantasy show on Tuesday, Adam and I. And that's when he got his second shot. And he had just said, yeah, I cannot do this. And I'm like, dude, you don't need to explain that to me. Just Stuff. go take care of yourself. Do what you got to do. And we, and we can record on Wednesday. And, you know, he just it was 24 hours, 24 hours, and then done.
1: That was like me too. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So everyone just continue to take care of yourselves. That's uh, the most important thing. All right. My deep sleeper, and Jake, I know you're gonna be very excited to talk about this. My deep sleeper is Matt James. Oh, God, help us! Uh, so, for this is a bachelor time where I'm getting very excited for this, and we'll try and keep this short and sweet because there's a lot to get to. But basically, the situation now with our good friend Matt James, of course, the most recent bachelor. So, the story. Is that Matt James and his winner, Rachel Kirkconnell? Of course, who was surrounded by uh, this whole antebellum party scandal that, ha- that has completely taken over and has basically ruined their relationship, at least for the time being. Uh, there were reports that they were trying to rekindle things, and you know, one thing led to another. Matt flew Rachel up to New York to try and see her and, and work things out and basically get things back on the right track until Rachel got a DM, I guess from an ex that Matt had been seeing pre bachelor saying that Matt was talking to her as well. So we have a nice little love triangle that has now been formed thanks to Matt James. So, and what was interesting too is, and Rachel was not going to go to this because of the whole antebellum thing. Rachel was in New York to see Matt, but then stormed out, left Matt, that kind of went belly up and then attended a bachelorette reunion. So they posted a whole picture on Instagram as well. The ladies from uh, the bachelor and they all had a grand old time in New York. So, ended up working out in one way for rougher uh, Rachel but Matt 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 you fucking idiot
1: I saw that actually the uh the group photo of all the contestants and the you know, well a lot of favorites on there what can well, I say a lot of talent a lot of a lot of talent uh Matt James was just a horrible bachelor man like that is awesome. a that was a brutal brutal season An uncomfortable season towards the end of it, too. It's like, geez, Louise. Literally, the
0: best bachelor that we've had in the last seven years was Ben Higgins. Yeah. He's been the best. And then after that, it's been dog shit.
1: And best bachelorette, dare I say. I like JoJo Fletcher a lot. I don't know how you felt about her. She was terrific, I thought. Terrific. I I thought Taysha Adams did a really good job, too. Yes, she did.
0: And she was put in a very tough spot, and, and she did really great. did well. She, she really, really did, really
1: well. did well. But yeah, and no, then, it, Matt James is just.
0: Well, and then the um, the whole story that came out this morning with Colton. Oh, yeah. Which was like, oh, didn't didn't expect to see that this morning.
1: I didn't think he was that terrible of a bachelor either. I don't know no, what's felt about no, that. I, I thought he would I thought he was all right.
0: No, I did not think Colton was that bad and then I mean I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I started my day today. So, woke up this morning, I had my kid brother walk across from, from across the hall and he said, "Do you do you know who uh, who Colton is from The Bachelor?" And I'm like, "Yeah, of course, Colton Underwood. Yeah." And he said, "Well, he just came out of the closet." I'm Like, "What?" And I I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I mean, good for him. Good for him for embracing who he really is and wish him nothing but the best in that endeavor. And then I found out, which I don't know if this is like public news yet. He's getting a whole documentary too. Wow. Netflix gave him a documentary, which basically highlights and follows his journey to coming out
1: absolutely insane but wow Which, yeah no it's uh good for him is right netflix is just as soon as something happens they got to get on it like bernie madoff passed it. away today yep you're going to be seeing tons of movies and documentaries about him any a week now right hundred percent
0: a hundred percent speaking of bernie madoff i'm going to give you a funny story this actually just happened about 30 minutes before we came we came on and record so I was talking to one of my friends, and we we're just talking about something, you know, unrelated. And then he says to me, I'll quote the text exactly OMG, Bernie is dead. Who do you think I was thinking about first? Bernie Sanders. Yes. So I immediately do what everybody else does when they see someone famous trending on Twitter for no reason. Go to Wikipedia and make sure they're not dead. And then I had to think about it. it was like, Bernie, 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 Bernie. And then I realized, oh, fuck, it's Bernie Madoff. Yeah. So that was a little funny today. And uh, it's good to see that Bernie Sanders is still is still alive and well. That man probably will never die, quite frankly.
1: Yeah. No, you're not wrong.
0: Man is, The man is still kicking. Good for him, though. Good for him. Okay. Let's go to one quick question. And this comes from Sean. Sean asks, and this is pertinent to what we're talking about today. So good on you, Sean. He asks, which team not in the top five, not in the top five, has to hit a home run with their pick? Now, I took that question a lot of different ways. Because the easy answer that I could say is I could say Detroit. They need to go out and they need to get themselves a receiver for Jared Goff. But what is really a home run for Detroit? They're not going to be competitive this year. So I, the way I took that question, honestly, was a borderline playoff team that needs to make the right selection to put them over the top from being maybe a borderline playoff team, to a true contender in the AFC or the NFC or T that is a contender in the AFC or the NFC pushing them over the top to becoming potentially a super bowl contender. That's the way yeah. that I took that question.
1: And Detroit also has GM and head coach aligned together for the next six years. I don't think they're not, they're not facing any type of pressure. The way nope. I interpret that is put up or shut up time for some GMs. I think New York giants that is with Dave Gettleman, I think they need to definitely hit a home run at 11. I think Chicago, there's nobody oh. on a hotter seat right now than Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. That that seat's been on fire for the last, like, four years. But Yeah, but to me, though, it's, it's a pretty simple answer to that question. How about the Philadelphia Eagles picking mm. at 12? You know, you were picking six. You trade back to 12. Howie Roseman just hired his third coach. You know, you're moving on. To, you moved on from Carson Wentz. You botched your pick last year by taking Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson, which I still can't think of any logical explanation for that. I didn't like Jalen Rigger at all last year as a prospect. Hated him, actually. Yep, Um, But a lot of people liked him. You have to find a weapon for Jalen Hurts and give him every position to succeed, and whether that be a weapon for Hurts in the form of a receiver, an offensive lineman, or if you want to go to the defensive side of the ball – That cornerback depth chart was pretty terrible last year. A guy I really like, I'm sure we'll talk about him next week, is J.C. Horn. If he's there at, you know, pick 12, I think that's a really solid pick. Or another guy who I love a lot is Caleb Farley, who is going to most likely be there with his injury concerns. I think he's a really talented player. But, yeah, Philadelphia, man, the clock is ticking for Howie Roseman right now. And Nick Sirianni. Could be a one and done coach if Harry Roseman is let go at the end of the year. I would not be surprised uh, at all.
0: I'm going for the Dallas Cowboys.
1: Yeah, boy. I know it's going to
0: be a home. That's a homer pick. I know. But listen, this is a team that I said before that this is a team that I was looking at it through the lens of borderline playoff team to genuine contender. The Dallas Cowboys are a borderline playoff team right now. They're not a team that is a shoo-in to win the NFC East. That defense is absolutely horrific. They need to upgrade defensively. Now, with that being said, there are other caveats to that. There's the ever-looming presence of one Kyle Pitts, which seems to be the apple of Jerry Jones's eye, to go out and get Kyle Pitts and have this juggernaut of an offense put up 37 you better not give up 38 sort of deal then there's Rashawn slater the tackle out of northwestern he's my favorite tackle in this draft and if dallas were to go in that direction to get the heir apparent to tyrant smith that may not be a bad avenue either the only problem that i have with that mainly is where do you play him year one do you play do you play him at left guard and you take Connor Williams out of the equation. That's something I'll need to be answered on another day. And then, of course, there is the consensus pick that I think every Cowboys fan is just praying that they get an opportunity to take, and that's Patrick Sartan. That seems to be the guy that every Dallas fan, myself included, wants the Cowboys to take. And listen, they need a corner. It's no secret they did not do their best in, the, in terms of free agency to really solidify the cornerback position. They re-signed Jordan Lewis, which was a good move, good move for them. He actually turned out to be one of the better graded slot corners in the national football league last year, according to pro football focus, they were able to sign two safeties, Devontae Casey and Keanu O'Neill, So that helps. I think Dan Quinn is going to come in and he's going to do some magic with that defense, but he needs talent. He needs talent above anything else. And if you're not going to give him the pieces then this defense is just going to be what it was last year. And that was a Swiss cheese defense. So uh, it's a big, big, big offseason and big, big draft for, for Dallas that they should be spending the 10 picks that they have in this draft. They should be spending it all on defense, maybe in the third or fourth round getting an offensive lineman, but I don't want to see, I don't want to see a skilled player drafted.
1: Yeah. Well, Jerry is a big best player available in the first round. We've seen it. Many, many years in a row. We saw it last year with C.D. Lamb at 17. They didn't it's a new Patriots method. So, you know, Jerry, if he likes a guy, he's taking him. Even if it doesn't fill a need, so to say, which I think is not the worst strategy in the world. Um, like you said, they have 10 picks, so I wouldn't hate it for them if Kyle Pitts was there at 10. I really doubt he is. I think if Dallas or anybody outside the top six picks wants him, They're going to have to trade up and trading up for you know, it's not the best idea in the world. Um, So yeah, Jerry at 10 will have to trade up for Pitts and if they, let's just say he's there though at 10 or who's another guy that you really like uh, or Slater is there at 10. You have nine other picks to fill holes on the defensive side of the ball. It's not the end of the world. I don't think that will exactly sink or swim the Dallas Cowboys season. I think What's, what they're depending on is Dak Prescott being 100% healthy. I think if Dak Prescott is 100% in a weak division like that, I think Dallas still wins a division, even with the same defense they had last year. I mean, yes, kind of.
0: But even with Dak, we saw that this offense
1: couldn't do – Well, the the heavy lifting, and they were really, I mean, to be honest with you, coaching is really important in the NFL. Mike Nolan is not an NFL defensive coordinator, and I, that was a questionable head-scratching hire by Mike McCarthy. Mike McCarthy has hired his buddy. Yeah, that. He hired his buddy. Yeah. So I I think they're going to be a lot better. I think they're going to get a a good season out of Jalen Smith. I felt like he was dinged up a little bit last year. He was, that entire
0: linebacking core was, I mean, there was a point where we were starting Joe Thomas. Thomas. Joe Thomas, yeah. every freaking down. And,
1: and Demarcus Lawrence really needs to earn that big contract. I'm sorry, I, I haven't seen it. No. And um, is Randy Gregory cleared to play the whole season next year? Or I know he was just for, for, now, for, for now. For now. For now. I think just the overall switch to Dan Quinn will help out that defense. But I don't think Patrick Sertan is exactly going to make the Dallas Cowboys into this, you know, 85 Bears defense overnight. No. So that's why I think Jerry going best player available at ten is not the end of the world. If it's somebody like Slater or Pitts, it's really hard to hate that. But if he's taking Jalen Waddle at ten overall, or um, you know, give me another guy, Devonta Smith side, or Devonta Smith, one of those guys, then you can start to say, okay, what exactly are we doing here?
0: I will say this: the best man available strategy works some of the time, and then it doesn't work. Some of the time with CD lamb work perfectly because he looks to be a, a rising star. If, if he's not one already, but then on the flip, it was Jerry Jones needing the draft card wrestled out of his hand. That would have seen Jerry Jones put in the pick for Johnny Manziel over Zach Martin.
1: Yeah. Well, that would have been great. But the thing with, I know we have to move on, but the thing with Manziel, a lot of people forget is, he went to the Cleveland Browns, man. Like if he would you're telling me if he would have went to his home state of Texas, I, I still think he could have been a player. I, I just think it was a really unfortunate situation for both parties involved. Like, you know what I'm saying? It was he was looked at as to be the savior and he was just not mature enough to be that guy for Cleveland. And no. let's be honest, Cleveland won what, like three games in three years, it felt like. Yeah. At that time. I don't know. I, 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 I think Johnny gets a bad rap here and there, but I, was, I get what you're, I get what you're saying. It was all up here with Johnny. It was all up in the head. Yeah. And
0: you know, you have to ask yourself with someone that had the great success that he had at college station at a and M did he not, was he not used to the winning to the losing? Excuse me. Was he not used to the losing.
1: Exactly. And also it's, Cleveland, I might add. Yeah, it was it
0: it was at the time Cleveland. Yeah, now look at them. Now they are it, crazy. That I'm saying that Cleveland looks to be a desirable destination to go and uh, to go and play. But fair play to the um, the program that the Browns and Kevin Stefanski have uh, have built. All right, so let's go into the first positional group, and that is. Going to be the quarterbacks. And on the surface, this is a really, really special quarterback group. Whether you're looking at on the high end with Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. And even if you want to go to the lower end with guys such as Kellen Mond or even Davis Mills. This is a really intriguing, interesting and I would say special uh, quarterback class, Jake.
1: Yeah, I have a first-round grade on five guys, so I definitely think highly of this class. In terms of guys that are ready to play right away, I think there's probably three, maybe four guys that I think can start on day one and contribute to their NFL team, so I I agree. That's a really good year for a quarterback, and I'm, I'm excited to talk about it, no doubt. Can I, can I
0: take a guess as to who your maybe is? Is that, did that man used to play for the Ohio state Buckeyes?
1: Uh, you're about, you're about to find out, but, uh, you know, possibly, maybe possibly. honestly, maybe possibly, but all right. We'll so let's,
0: it. so don't, don't keep us uh, hanging any longer. Jake, your top five quarterbacks, please, sir.
1: Well, number one, I have Trevor Lawrence. Um, I, I, I think it's closer than I think my number two quarterback is a lot closer to Trevor Lawrence than he is to the number three quarterback. Oh, yeah. Completely yeah. honest with you. I agree. Number two, I have Zach Wilson. No bias there. You know, you knew I loved Zach Wilson before the rest of the world loved him. It's true. Um, number three, I have Mac Jones. We'll, we'll get into him more. Number four, I have Justin Fields. Number five, this is where it gets a little dicey. I have Kellen Mond from Ooh. Texas St. M. And then at number six, I have Trey Lance.
0: All right, so I have it almost in the same order as you. My number one is Trevor Lawrence. My number two is Zach Wilson. My number three is Mac Jones. My number four, I have decided to go very, very, very close, may I add. But I have decided to go with Trey Lance at number four. Shocking, I know. Then at number five is where I went with. The, with Justin Fields and I, and I love I love Kellen Mon. Kellen Mond is at number six for me
1: yeah no when I look at it it's like you know just to answer your question from before guys who are ready to play right away Wilson no doubt Lawrence no doubt Mac Jones I think it's really laughable to people I don't think he's ready to play right away I, I can make the case he's most ready to play out of any quarterback in this draft to be completely honest with you the amount of NFL concepts that were in that Alabama offensive scheme week in and week out. It's not even close. They they had the most in college football. I to be honest with you, I thought Clemson ran the most basic scheme out of all the big, you know, Power Five conference schools.
0: Level of competition.
1: Yeah, no. Look at who Clemson played
0: versus Alabama. Look who Alabama was playing on a week. Yeah, basis. well,
1: I'm not a big competition guy. To me, it's like, listen, is the guy being blitzed or is he throwing in tight windows? What's his fastball look like? Is the guy being covered? It's, you know, there's more to that than competition. Throws are throws to me. And I think that's where I really went back to the drawing board with what I look for with quarterbacks because I really botched the Josh Allen evaluation in 2018. I put too much stock into quality of competition that I wasn't looking at the player itself. So, anyway. Those are my three. And then my maybe, to be honest with you, it is not Justin Fields. I think in no way is Justin Fields ready to step footed on NFL Field next year. No way. No way, no way at all. I have a mid-to-late first-round grade on Justin Fields. I, I am not as high on him as others perceive. There's a lot to like, don't get me wrong. But when you watch Kellen Mond play, I see an NFL quarterback that can step in there possibly from day one, depending on obviously other factors. Mond does... There's a lot of things to like from Mond. The pocket presence is pretty off the charts for me. Definitely commands the pocket. The ability to make throws on the run that are unscripted. Jimbo Fisher, his offense is never exactly the most innovative in all of college football. I don't, from what you've seen, obviously. So very vanilla, very basic. And there's a lot of times where Mond is making plays happen that, oh, we didn't call that, but Hey, Mon just got us a 30-yard gain, and he's mobile. He didn't – I personally – that was one of my biggest notes here is didn't use his legs nearly enough, I thought. I thought he was way more athletic than what the numbers came out to be at Texas A&M. And, you know, supporting cast to me is a big thing with these quarterbacks. He didn't have – even though he played in the SEC, he didn't have anybody really. Have you watched any Texas A&M prospects oh, coming he, out of he, this year for college? He had He had nobody. Oh,
0: and even you know, I think the the best target that I can remember seeing, at least with name value, Kellen Mond throwing to was probably Jay Sternberger. That was yeah, probably like, the biggest one of name value that I saw. Now I and, could be totally wrong about that, but no. that was just the one that popped off for me.
1: Yeah, no, exactly. And Texas A and M was arguably a college football playoff team last year. And Mond had a big reason for was a big reason for that. And I think he's going to be the guy that a lot of people look back on and say, wow, you know, why didn't anybody talk about Mond enough? And I'm really happy because a guy that I really respect a lot, Chris Sims, was, was very high on Mond. He had Mond ahead of Justin Fields. I wouldn't go that far, but I thought Fields was closer to Mond than he was to my top two.
0: Now we have the conversation that I've been wanting to have with you, I think, all day. Because we've talked about you have Trey Lance outside outside your top five.
1: Yeah, it's nothing to do with the, you know, the physical traits. But yeah, go ahead. Ask me. So
0: my question with you is what do you see or what don't you see in Lance?
1: Just really behind in terms of being NFL ready. That stood out to me. If you look at the offense he ran at North Dakota, it's like – yeah, they're running for, what, like 300 yards a game almost? That's pretty absurd to me. A very run-first offense that, you know, let's be honest, when they call a pass, they they scheme guys open to the point where, okay, do you want to be wide open this play because this team's going to stack the box because they're so afraid of us running the ball? Because this is North Dakota State competition. This isn't exactly the SEC we're talking about here, and I, I get it. We talked about competition earlier, but at the same time, high-level athletes are high-level athletes and wide open is wide open to me you didn't see exactly the anticipation throws that I think Zach Wilson I think Zach Wilson and Mac Jones are the best at throwing with anticipation this whole class you didn't see any of that from Trey Lance you know 18 passes a game is not in nine starts seeing very vanilla defenses that you are you will not be listen in the NFL the NFL compared to nine starts at North Dakota State is a it's like doing two his offense was like two plus two equals four and he's going to advance calculus in the NFL in no way am I putting Trey uh Trey Lance on an NFL field next year no way in that offense he has a lot to learn just overall learning the quarterback position to me just to me he looked like one of those freak athletes playing quarterback and not exactly a quarterback playing quarterback if that makes sense and that that's the big thing that stood out to me was just very basic concepts and has a ton to learn, but there, there are trades there that I really like. Don't get me wrong, but in no way is he ready to play next year for my money.
0: Trey Lance in a lot of ways, and I don't mean to sound cliche. Cause I think a lot of people have heard this, you know, time and time again, if you've been listening to any NFL draft analysis, Trey Lance does remind me a lot of Josh Allen. Now he doesn't have that, no. that deep ball. Yeah,
1: I think I think he does. Not at all. I, Hear I, me I, out. I really disagree there. Go ahead. Hear
0: me out. He's got that big arm. He lacks that accuracy, that the problems that Josh Allen had in college at Wyoming, same sort of story with Trey Lance. I believe his number of on-target balls is at around 47%, which was one of the lowest that was around for – Qualified Division One quarterbacks, which you know, it just based on that number alone, you're asking yourself, well, why the fuck is he being talked about as one of the top five quarterbacks in this draft? Well, he's got the big arm. I think, in a lot of ways, and I'm not, I'm not saying that this is why I love Trey Lance or anything, because I love Josh Allen. Josh Allen, for me, was one of the best quarterback prospects that I've ever scouted, hands down, far and away. Yeah. and I feel like in terms of the NFL scouting community as a whole, especially the ones that were not necessarily as high on Josh Allen as perhaps others were. A lot of them see Trey Lance as sort of an opportunity to make up on past sins with Josh Allen, because Josh Allen was the prototypical competition sucks. His accuracy is not good enough. And he had been posting declining numbers throughout his two years at Wyoming. Same thing with Trey Lance, his numbers went down. So this is now our opportunity to make do on that. Right. So what I kind of see is that the, the scouting community is saying, this is our opportunity to make up and show what we've learned from missing on Josh Allen. But I think it's just way more than that. I see a legit dual threat quarterback. I see a guy with a pretty big frame, stands at 6'2". So he's not a tiny guy at all. He could definitely hold his own. Tough kid, can make the throws. Inconsistent, but needs to work on that. We've seen it with Josh Allen in the past that you don't need to be the most accurate passer in the world coming out of college where you can come into the NFL. You could either sit and learn your craft, do what you got to do, Or you learn on the fly, like Josh Allen did, and let talent take over. And I think Trey Lance is really, really talented. I like what I've seen from him. His tape, I will say, is inconsistent. That's the one thing that kind of really keeps me from saying that I absolutely love him. Because there's some games where I say, wow, and there's other games where I say, eek sort of thing. He just has to work on becoming more consistent. And the one thing with his game that at least I've seen just with the advanced eye is that his footwork needs a ton, a ton of rebuilding and refocusing, trying to get his feet more involved into the way that he moves and operates as as a quarterback and not necessarily trying to get out of the pocket every chance that he, that he gets, which can be a problem at times, and there's other times
1: where his feet are terrific so just be more consistent right in that regard and my counter to that is when you watch Josh Allen and I this was one of my biggest compliments to him coming out of college even though I personally thought it was just a loaded quarterback class that 2018 class it was more so of that um but when you watch Wyoming play it was all Josh Allen like there was nothing else they had he had absolutely nothing to work with and he was playing in The frozen tundra of Wyoming it was raining almost like every game I don't know if you obviously you remember as somebody that loved Josh Allen of course as with Lance it's no we're gonna run for about 10 to 20 yards a clip we're going to have this guy wide open 30 yards down the field and it just seemed more to me to be more of a collective effort at North Dakota State whereas with Wyoming it's like hey Josh go out there and freaking work magic every single play and be a gunslinger for us was with Trey Lance. I just didn't see that. And you brought up a lot of good points there. He definitely has all the measurables. He has the arm talent. He definitely has the athletic ability. Just to me, the footwork definitely needs to be cleaned up. And we're going to talk about that in a minute with Justin Fields um, in just a moment. But all of that combined is why he's just, because for me, a big thing with scouting these quarterbacks is, if they're pro ready or not, because I feel like with quarterbacks, they have a much shorter window to be ready than another position. If that makes sense, because usually if you're not panning out in three years, they get rid of you or they find somebody else to get the job. Go ask Sam Darnold about all, all about that one. Go ask Jared so, Goff or, or even Jared Goff. You know, you have a shorter time frame to be their guy. Even drew lock is another one. Sure. I, I think one. Trey Lance in Denver um, is a possibility. I don't love that fit for him, but, Um, you know, that's why, that's what I look for more with quarterbacks and basically any other position. So you bring up good points. Uh, I definitely think there's a lot to like, but there's a lot that he needs to be groomed and needs to land in the right spot for him to do all the things that you talked about before.
0: I will say he is the definition of a project. Yeah, no no doubt about it. He is not ready to take the field day one, but I think you'll really let him marinate And he'll be, he can be really, really, really good. Uh, Before we move on to running backs, I just want to get rapid fire on two things very quickly. We'll start with number one. Give us the downside with Justin Fields.
1: Well, yeah, again, there's another guy that the athleticism is off the charts in terms of a pure athlete of all the quarterbacks. He's the best, like hands down, but the negative is the overall arm circle that he has is just way too long and loopy that needs to be honestly started from scratch in an NFL camp and he a big thing with him is i don't know if you saw his pro day live or in depth his quarterback's coach was literally standing right in front of him because he overstrides a shit ton to his target and if you saw him there he had he had to think about it's easy to do and look good when you have to think about that but when you get to a game there's nobody there. You're in the heat of competition, and that's where you know bad habits start kicking in. And he just needs to find a release point that he can replicate every single throw and clean up that stride. You put all that together, and to me, that doesn't happen in just one NFL offseason. Like That's a full season of just working and working with the quarterbacks, coach, the offensive staff. That's why he's behind to me. He's closer to Mon than he is to Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson. I think those two guys are going to be outstanding pros and you know not to say that Trey Lance and Justin Fields uh, can't be but they're just to me they're really light years behind the top two
0: now very quickly before we go we go to the running backs I just want answer no no evaluation no explanation whatsoever sure good. we'll say outside of Trevor Lawrence and Zach Wilson for who will be the best quarterback out of this draft so we won't include the top two just to make it more interesting and more fun and then who will be the bust candidate, the, bu- the biggest bust out of this draft, including the top two.
1: Yeah, I mean, fit is a big part about that, but go ahead. Um, I think if I'm going to say the biggest sleeper for me, I'm going to
0: go with Davis Mills out of Stanford. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, wasn't I like what I see. He just, he's my cup of tea for a quarterback. Just prototypical pocket passer, big arm, needs to work on a couple things, but I think he's a sleeper sort of quarterback. In terms of who I think is most likely to be a bust, very easy to say Justin Fields, very easy to say Trey Lance. I'm going to say Mac Jones.
1: Yeah, no, I to be to be honest with you, I, I think Mac Jones, uh, if he goes to the 49ers, could be the best quarterback in this draft class because I think definitely that's the best, I think that's the best situation um, out of all of it. Out of all the uh, obviously teams looking for quarterbacks with Kyle Shanahan with that team ready to win right now, no doubt. Um, in terms of bust, yeah, it's probably going. I feel like Trey Lance is either a guy that gets everybody a five-year extension or everybody fired in two years. So I'm I'm gonna have to go with him.
0: Yeah, I, and with Mac, I mean, you made a good point, Jake. It's he's either gonna be probably the best quarterback out of this class or he'll be gone as a starter in three years. It's like he, it's it's that best quarterback right away, maybe. Yeah. Okay. Right away, but it's a wide range of outcomes for. For someone like uh, like Mac Jones and yes, it's very easy for both of us to just come out and say, oh, yeah, we think Trevor Lawrence is going to be the best quarterback of this class. That's still fun. That is most certainly no fun. All right. So let's move on to the running backs. And I mean, just on the surface, it's kind of uh, meh, meh no, I, I, class, I, but I top imagine... heavy, top heavy.
1: Yeah. I, in terms of, I, I only have a first round grade on one running back uh, to be completely honest with you. Um, I only have a, a round, 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 I can't speak right now. There you go. Round one grade on Travis Etienne out of Clemson. I think he's far and away the best running back in this draft class. And you know, my guys after that, you might not agree or see anywhere else, but um, I have early day twos, late second rounds, third round all over the place. So, uh, you know, not many three-down backs, but quality backs. I will say,
0: Jake, that you you might be surprised with. It's a little outside the box with uh, with what I have. So I'll give you my top five first, then I'll I'll hear your uh, top five, and we see where we agree and where we disagree. So uh, my number one in this class, I do have Travis Etienne. That should not be a uh, much of a surprise. To, uh, to many people. This is where you might be a little surprised. My number two running back in this class, I've actually gone for Javante Williams out of North Carolina. Very, very close with him and Najee Harris, who I have at number three. Then at number four, I've gone for the other running back at North Carolina, Michael Carter. And then at number five, I've
1: gone for Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis. Okay, so that's a lot to unpack. Um, You know, I can give you my list and we can compare and contrast. Go ahead. Let's hear it. So at number one, I have ETN, like I alluded to before. Mm -hmm. At number two, I have the other UNC running back, Michael Carter. I'm not opposed. Absolutely absolutely love him. I'm not opposed. Number three, I have Najee Harris. Mm -hmm. Um, We're probably going to get to him. At number four, believe it or not, a guy that I think could have been Arguably the best running back in this draft's class, and that's Chuba Hubbard at Oklahoma State. Mm -hmm. Like, there's a there's a lot to like there for me. And then at number five, I have Javante Williams. And then at number six, I have Kenneth Gainwell. But um, where do you want me to start?
0: Um, I think I want I want you to start with Hubbard because I think there's a big difference between you and I with Hubbard. I have Chuba Hubbard as my seventh running back in this class. So I'm not. I'm not a huge fan of, of Hubbard. Yeah, if
1: you're just solely looking at his 2020, absolutely. He's outside the top five. But you look at his collective sample size of work from 2019 and 2020, 2019 is a really special year for him. If he would have just opted out of the year, I think a lot of people would be looking at him differently. But that overall initial burst from him to make guys miss with just pure speed and agility is really off the charts. This is a guy that can hit his head on the goalpost at any given time. That acceleration is a real, real threat. And teams that run that kind of zone blocking scheme to get guys in space and give their best players the ball in open fields, this guy can go for a 70-yard touchdown. He can make that second guy miss, and that's a thing that I didn't like too much with Najee Harris is, yeah, he got 10 to 15, but he should have been getting 30 or 40 on carries because he's not making that second level of defenders – miss that last guy to beat is tackling him and that's something I thought Hubbard did really really well and on the outside this guy can take it his upfield burst is absolutely off the charts for me and that there's there's definitely questions in pass protection no doubt about that big concern in terms of being a receiver not the best but just as a pure between the tackles bounce it outside this guy is going to be a good running back, I think, in this league.
0: You know, I think there's a lot that you said that I absolutely agree with. I think if you're looking for if you're looking for purely in this class, if you were to rank these running backs based on purely best north south runner, you could make a case for Chuba Hubbard being the best running back in this class just with that alone. Because he is a tough, hard nosed runner. He's like a battery ram. And that was the number one thing on film that popped off immediately. He hits the hall harder than probably anybody else in this class. That is what I saw immediately. Love that. My whole thing, the downside with him, number one, versatility for me. That's always a big, big thing with me, especially when evaluating the running back position, because of course it is one of the focal points of any offensive, any offensive game plan in general, um, I would say mainly with Hubbard. You said it, 2100 yard campaign in 2019. He could have opted out for 2020 and teams would be looking at him as potentially a first round pick in last year's draft this year with it being much more top heavy with Travis and uh, Najee, you know, it, it has hurt him a little bit, but I think a team could get a really good value on him. My thing with Chuba though, that, immediately, immediately scares me because we've seen running backs have this problem and it just persists and persists and persists. Those are the fumbles. The biggest issue with Chuba Hubbard were fumbles. He had five fumbles on 328 carries last year alone. That does, it may not seem like a lot to people, but that's five, it's a five too many for an NFL team. That has to be cleaned up. Yeah, To
1: to me, an NFL coaching staff could absolutely fix that problem. I feel like with good coaching, it's just one simple correction probably. So, uh, again, that is a concern, but that's not the end all be all with me. No doubt about it. I think the number one thing with Hubbard,
0: probably that people need to just get their heads wrapped around, is this is a kid that has all of the talent in the world but but there are question marks that need to be sorted out coached up and yep
1: that that's what it comes down to i think a really good team is going to take him on day 3 of the draft and find themselves a stud
0: i completely agree with you jake so i want to talk about the unc guys and the difference that we have when it comes to comparing javonta williams and michael carter so Jake, why do you like Michael Carter more
1: than you like Javante Williams? Well, first of all, big playability. That's a big thing I look for my running backs is guys that can make the big play. And to me, Javante Williams, he's a quality runner. Don't get me wrong, but his initial burst, it's kind of like the same issue I have with Najee Harris. He's not the fastest guy in the world, Javante Williams. Like, just as a pure straight line runner, he's not exactly a track star as a running back. That's number one. And number two, The receiving ability, I feel like Michael Carter out of UNC last year. I don't know if you – I'm sure you watch a ton of UNC. Michael Carter was the best receiving back they had. So maybe we just didn't exactly see it from Williams because Carter was there and was taking away a lot of those opportunities. But the versatility is a thing that does concern me a little bit. But that first initial burst off the line of scrimmage does scare me. I'm not going to lie. Like, What's going to happen when he plays – NFL caliber defensive lineman where those holes are shrunk enormously from what they were in the ACC in college. And I'm not sure if he exactly, I feel like Michael Carter, uh, Michael Carter has more of a game that translates to this day and age in the NFL, if that makes sense. So that's, that's personally where where I'm going with that. And um, just as an overall translation from college to the NFL, I think that's Michael Carter than Javante Williams, but I like them both as prospects. Like, don't get me wrong. Yeah. No, I, I, I like them both as well. Actually,
0: between two, three, and four is marginally close for me. Yeah. Um. The difference that I like when you talk about Javante versus Michael is with Javante Williams, this dude is a tackle-breaking machine. And there was one number when I was doing some research leading up to this show, which – stunned me beyond belief when it comes to Javante Williams. That is this right here. He had 76 broken tackles last year on 157 carries, which set the pro football focus record for broken tackles per attempt in a single season. That to me
1: is mental. Yeah. You like broken tackles, but that was the one knock I had against uh, Kenneth Gainwell was the ability to break tackles wasn't really there for me. It's like once he gets touched he kind of fell down. That's a big thing that I saw with his film, but him in space is just a pretty special talent to me. And he's one of more he's more of a patient runner to me than a lot of these other guys in the draft. So that that's what I saw from him. It's interesting you brought up broken tackles because that's something Kenneth Gainwell did not do at all essentially that's- at uh, Memphis. That's very funny you said
0: that. I'm very glad that you mentioned that because it's a great segue to talking about Kenneth Gainwell and the reason why I like him so much. He won't make his money as an in-between-the-tackles runner. That's just not what Kenneth Gainwell is. That's not his game. He will make his money as a pass-catching back. And when I think of Kenneth Gainwell, I look at a guy like J.D. McKissick. I think that's a great comparison where you bring him in and you start building him up. As a guy that'll be on the field for third downs, you can move him in the slot if you really want to. He is explosive and he can get open when he wants to. He's not going to be a guy that you know breaks a lot of tackles like, say, Javante Williams does. But he's a guy, when you get him into space, he is deadly when you can get him into that open area of the field. And it also helps that if you look at the track record of Memphis running backs over the course of the last couple drafts, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. They, they know what they're doing at Memphis with Tony Pollard and Antonio Gibson. So there are a lot of people in the NFL scouting community that think Kenneth Gainwell can be that next sort of Memphis running back to break through into the NFL. Now, I don't think that Gainwell is similar to someone like, let's say, Antonio Gibson. I think their games are completely different. But I think in terms of a guy that can go to a – a championship caliber team that needs a change of pace running back that can come in and produce in the passing game. That's what I think Kenneth Gainwell could do. But I don't think he's a guy that's a standalone running back that's going to be a 15-20 touch guy. That's well, just not, not now, Kenneth Gainwell's he,
1: game. He obviously could develop, you know, that that that's a big thing too, is coaching he, he and he could develop the players into that, that's probably the high end. Exactly. Yeah. No, I definitely agree with that assessment totally.
0: So we are going in moving forward and talking about the wide receivers. And I mean, <laughs>
1: yeah, this is the year. Oh, I, I,
0: I love, Oh my I, God.
1: I love this class. Yeah. Whole, a, a big where thing where that, do you start? Where do you start? with Exactly. This well, a big thing that I really argue with a lot with uh, my peers on the Jets way podcast is mm. it's almost like kind of a waste to draft the receiver in the first round, because there's guys on day three of the draft that I think come in and start for teams right away. Like that's how talented I think this class is. So um, definitely one of the more exciting segments I think we'll have here, but there's a a lot to like with this class. Like it's about 20 to 25 guys deep of guys that could start for me in an NFL uniform next year. I
0: agree with you, Jake. I I really do. So uh, hit us with it. Hit us with your top five wide receivers. I heard them earlier today and it is I will say that anybody who listens to this podcast has not heard a top five quite like Jake's.
1: So that is yeah, the promise that I'm going to give you, but yeah, it's, it's not, it so, Jake, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that intro. It's it. not, it's not absolutely ridiculous, but you know, you can debate me all you want. I have number one, Jamar chase. I think that's far and away been my number one receiver for a very long time. Then I have Jalen Waddle at number two. Then I have Devonta Smith. And at number four, I have my guy, Cordero's Tony. And then at number five, I have Therese Marshall Jr. from LSU.
0: I mean, look, I mean, LSU just has has the history with these, oh.
1: with these receivers. And he so. didn't get quite the shine that you saw with uh, Justin Jefferson and Jamar Chase with Joe Burrow because he was more of the third wheel. But you saw it last year before he opted out of the year with really lackluster quarterback play that, yeah, like this guy can be a big-time talent in this league and – uh, you know, he his pro comparison for me is, honestly, he reminds me a lot of Denzel Mims for the Jets. Wins a lot of contested catches, has a good knack for getting open. He's not exactly the greatest athlete in the world. He's one of those guys, to me, that is a better receiver than a runner, if that makes sense. He might not run yeah. the blazing 40 time, but he knows how to get open. When I evaluate receivers, I like guys that can get open more than the guy jumping off the screen in a 40 time. So. That's that's a big part of my list right there.
0: All right, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give you mine. Um, number one, I have Jamar Chase. Number two, I have Jalen Waddle. Number three, I have Devonta Smith. Number four, this is a guy that we disagree on. I have Rashad Bateman at number four, and then number five, I have your guy. I have Cadearius Tony.
1: Yeah, a lot of people get on me for Rashad Bateman. A lot of people do.
0: Yeah, um, well, I think this is a great opportunity now to uh, to explain what don't you like about. about babin so uh, jake have at
1: it well the big thing for me is just the overall acceleration that second gear that my top five has that i personally don't think he has i don't think he has that second level of getting open and making guys miss after the catch is he fast in and out of cuts absolutely no doubt about that that's one of the pros that i wrote on his evaluation but for me and also the frame is not the biggest frame in the world He needs to bulk up a little bit for me. He looks a little skinny. And personally, I just think that it's not so much that I don't like Rashad Bateman. I have a second-round grade on Rashad Bateman. Like, I don't think that's disrespectful at all. It's just such a deep and crowded wide receiver class. He's just not stacking up with my top five. I have him as here. Let me take a look here. My rankings. Yeah, I have him as my seventh-ranked receiver to be completely honest with you. And I think it's just such a talented class that it has less to do with him, but more about the class. But again, the second year with receivers is a big, big thing that I look for. And I I just don't see it with him initially. That's just an eye test thing.
0: Well, Jake, you make a good point. What you just said, like, I love Rondell more. I love him out of Purdue. He's my seventh ranked receiver. I love him, but it just goes to show you how deep this class is that there are guys you're going to be ranked outside of your top five. People are going to people are going to say, you know, people would say to me, "Oh, where's uh, where's Elijah Moore? Where's uh, where's Rondell Moore?" I mean, you, we're asking the right top five, and they're not in the top five, but doesn't mean you can't love them. Um, with you, you're not the biggest Bateman fan, and I understand why, because I think when you're looking in terms of measurables and you're looking in terms of numbers, in terms of performance based and what he's going to test in terms of measurables Rashad Bateman's not your guy that's yeah he's not he is not the guy that's going to test out of the gym and you're not people are not going to say that Rashad Bateman is an athletic freak that's kind of the thing with him and Jake you also make a great point when you say that he needs to bulk up he weighed in for his pro day at six foot a buck ninety one
1: Yeah, and he doesn't. I don't buy
0: it for a second.
1: Yeah, like Devonta Smith. That's a good point you made there. Like for me, Devonta Smith is what is he like 175 pounds. That's what he's listed. I don't buy that for a second. Exactly. But the thing is, he plays like he's six foot five to me. Yep. And but Rashad Bateman doesn't play like that, and that's a big, big concern and a red flag of mine. That's why I say first round, no way, not for my money. I don't think he's a first round pick for me, but. I think the number
0: one thing where, you know, when we talked about Chuba Hubbard and his 2019, just take every single thing you said about Chuba Hubbard and put it towards Rashad Bateman. Same sort of yep. story. His 2019 campaign, he was awesome, awesome, awesome. Then the past year happened, was diagnosed with COVID, and that was that. So it was kind of a, a just a wash year for Rashad Bateman. And, you know, here, here we are. You know, we're talking about can Rashad Bateman rebuild his stock on a 2019 campaign, which if he had just said, you know what, I'm gonna declare that's that, he probably would have been talked about in the first round or maybe early second round of receivers last year. He didn't. And now you're talking about Bateman being one of those guys that could potentially fall. He could yeah,
1: and and to be honest, with you just to talk about how deep this class is. My top six receivers to me are top 30 to 40 players. My top four receivers are top 20 players. That's how talented I think this class is. I Jake, I agree with you. This, this class
0: is just so, so, so good. Um, before we go and talk about the tight ends, I want to ask you this question. I have two, actually. Okay, go ahead. Out of Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, Devonta Smith. Who do you think is the best out of a career?
1: Jamar Chase. I agree, with
0: you. I
1: agree with
0: you. 100%. I agree with you. I'm glad that we uh, we agree on that. Number two, who is the sleeper receiver that you have in this class that you love? And we'll we'll even extend it for you. We'll go really deep. Outside your top 10 receivers ranked, Oh, who is your favorite receiver?
1: That's a good because I was gonna talk about my guy, Dime Brown. I love him. I think I, uh, love him. I think a lot I of people are, are sleeping. Uh, listen, that's my sixth ranked receiver right there. People are sl- people are sleeping on Diamond Brown. I think. But outside my top ten, how about a bit, top ten? How about a little bit of a wild card for you? How About Anthony Schwartz from uh, Auburn. Mm. That's a guy I've talked a lot about on the Jets Way podcast. About the guy is just a flat out track star. Like, no doubt in my mind, he's going to contribute right away to a team. He kind of reminds me of a better McColl Hardman, so to say. He could be used as, like, that Swiss Army knife. Kind of his pro comparison for me was Curtis Samuel. Like, that's exactly who I thought of when I saw him. Like, I'm not going to come out and say Tyreek Hill. That's that's ludicrous. Not everyone's <laughs> Tyreek Hill. He fell for other reasons outside of his own ability. So that's that's definitely not it. But I am I think he's a better McCole Hardman. I think he's a Curtis Samuel type player that's really going to help a team and add a new element to their offense. And um, I think he was the best receiver. As Seth Williams was there at Auburn, too, who I, I really don't like in this year's draft. I thought Schwartz was grossly underused at, uh, at Auburn.
0: Well, I mean, it was a, te- it was a terrible offense that Auburn yeah, Bo had. Nix and is, Bo and Nix is just, and, ugh,
1: Christ. Yeah, go ahead. What do you think about Anthony Schwartz? I, I, th- I love him. I- I
0: agree with everything that you just said, and it took every fiber of my being to not put him in my top 12 receivers for this draft. I love him. I think he was very underutilized. He's not a guy that's going to pop off on tape. He's not a guy that people are going to say, oh, wow, this is a guy that should be moved up tenfold. But he is a very consistent receiver that's going to get the job done. He has no – I mean, at least the tape that I saw of him, he didn't struggle with drops. He ran a pretty complete route tree for what Auburn was offering. Like the fastest player in college football.
1: That, that also and, helps.
0: And he flies, yeah. and he flies, which helps. And we all know that NFL teams just have this need for speed. No pun intended. No free advertising as well. Um, my guy is definitely outside of of the realm of thinking, and he's not someone that played for a Power Five conference. Or I anything. think I know. Go ahead. I'm going with Austin Watkins out of the university, university of Alabama, Birmingham. And the reason why I am mentioning Austin Watkins is I have a few colleagues of mine that are down in Birmingham that I work with and they keep, they kept talking about this kid, Austin Watkins. And I said, all right, you know, just send me, send me what you got. And they really wanted me to check out this kid because he, apparently was very, very impressive. And I'll be the first to admit I did not watch any, uh, university of Alabama, Birmingham football. I was, was not on my radar, but I watched this kid play. Wow. I, I was left thoroughly impressed. I think based on what I saw, he is some of the best hands that I've seen in this draft. I was that impressed. And he's someone that I haven't seen talked about much and This is not promotion of Birmingham. This is just more of me regurgitating what I saw on film. This kid has, at least from what I saw, it kind of was like watching a very, very, very smaller extent of Anquan Bolden, that kind of receiver. Yeah. Where I was left, I was left very, very, very impressed. So. Austin Watkins is 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 a deep sleeper that I think I want people to uh to look out for.
1: I thought you were gonna go with Dwayne Eskridge, who reminds me a lot of your guy, Corey Davis. Yeah, I love Dwayne Eskridge too. And and Jake, you hit the nail on the head. He does remind me so
0: much of Corey Davis. So, so much of Corey Davis. It is absolutely ridiculous how much Dwayne Eskridge reminds me of Corey Davis. And yeah, listen, if he could turn out to be as wonderful as Corey Davis is then he's going to be a superstar in my book.
1: I can't wait to watch Corey, man, Zachy.
0: All right, Jake. So let's go into the tight ends. And obviously the one that everyone wants to talk about when it comes to the tight end position is a guy, maybe you've heard him a guy by the name of Kyle Pitts. Maybe that name rings a bell. Um, Outside of that. I mean, holy shit. This, this tight end class top heavy as hell. And then after that, it's just kind of like you're hoping that you get one that that truly pans out. But before we go and talk about the the rest of the tight ends, and I know you uh, definitely want to talk about one, particularly from the University of Miami, who we will uh, who we will get to in a minute, and then one from the University of Notre Dame as well that we will uh, get to. I just want to talk about Kyle Pitts, and there is something about. Pitts that, again, everyone can talk about what he does on a football field and how it's unlike anything anybody's ever seen, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, we've heard heard all that already. I just get concerned when someone says to me that this kid is unlike anything that I've ever seen before. And that's the narrative that we hear with Kyle Pitts, that he is completely different than any other tight end, that we have seen before when you heap that kind of pressure onto a kid, and then you couple that with the potential for him to be a top five pick. That's a lot for him to handle. And I just get worried that the pressure of that is going to be a bit much for someone like Kyle Pitts. but the talent is absolutely there. It's just no doubt about it. Just a question of where does he go? What kind of fit does he have? And what kind of offense is going to utilize him best?
1: Yeah, it's if he's that good, then it should be no problem. It's the way that's, I look at it. That's true. It's very true. Yeah. So, I want to
0: talk about fits for. Huh, uh, see what I'm about to do here. Everyone's going to hate me. I, I feel the the eye rolls already. Let's talk about fits for Pitts. Where is the best fit, Jake, for Kyle Pitts?
1: I think in Atlanta is a great fit with Arthur Smith, the way he utilizes tight ends and Matt Ryan, the the season he had with Austin Hooper uh, the year before last year. I think Matt Ryan definitely missed Hooper um, last season. So I'm definitely going to go with Atlanta. Um, Arizona would be a great one with Cliff Kingsbury. <laughs> Doubt he makes it there. Like that would be absolutely insane. But my that favorite would be if he's he there, how about in, in San Diego? How about in Los Angeles with Justin Herbert? They just lost Hunter oh. Henry. Just, you you put Kyle Pitts there with Keenan Allen, Mike Williams on the other side. Disgusting. Austin Eckler, that's a that's a passing game that will create a lot of uh, havoc, and Los Angeles would be – that's probably my favorite one, to be completely honest with you, is the Los Angeles Chargers.
0: Here's one for Pitts that I don't know if people are really talking about as much, but how about the Miami Dolphins?
1: Yeah, I could definitely see that one too. I think people are talking about that about that absolutely number six seen,
0: I have not seen yeah, much about about I, I've Miami
1: mocked, I've mocked Kyle Pitts to Miami okay yeah I mean no, I have I not seen much of it a lot of people like Mike is but at the same time I'm pretty sure he's close to becoming a free agent I feel like he's been there for a long time even though it really hasn't been but you could still run two tight end sets still absolutely. a thing and, and that, you that, can use Pitts as a receiver essentially in the slot no doubt that's about what that.
0: I was gonna say is you have so much creative ability to move Kyle Pitts around And what's the number one thing that Miami has really aimed for this season? It's just surround Tua with talent. Thank you. Exactly. Surround Tua with talent. You look at what they have. They have a solid foundation. They have Miles Gaskin, who was effective when he was the lead guy for the Dolphins. They have Lynn Bowden, who looks like Lynn Bowden, another Memphis player, could be a very, very special, special talent in terms of the Swiss Army Knife sort of style, which is becoming like the new fad in the National Football League. Devontae Parker, we all know him, his ups, his downs. And now you have Will Fuller into the mix as well, who, again, same thing with Devontae Parker, ups, downs, everything in between. But then you have the two tight ends, and you have Kasicki, and you put in Kyle Pitts there. You're talking about something with, with that's Miami definitely. I mean that's just a lot for opposing defenses to to game plan and try and, and and handle
1: yeah and if Tua doesn't work you know you don't have the right guy that's correct that's correct if you know if Tua does not perform
0: you know he's not the guy and ship him off to Houston for uh for Deshaun with whatever his value is going to be or you're taking a guy next year and that's yep. that deal all right, so I want to talk about the, uh, the the other two tight ends that we both like. Uh, Pat Fryermuth is, an, is another one. Uh, I, I'm not the biggest fan of his. I don't think Jake is either. No. Uh, just kind of very meh for, for both of us. But um, I want to talk about Brevin Jordan out of Miami and Tommy Tremble out of uh, Notre Dame. I like Jordan more because I think he just offers that bit more upside at the position, but I think Tommy tremble also is very, very good too, who offers more of a safer floor in terms of performance
1: than Revan Jordan does. Yeah. Jordan was the better athlete that I saw and tremble to me had a lot better hands. I feel like he's more of a security blanket, you know, check down option. Whereas Jordan is more of a vertical threat, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So one's obviously a vertical threat. Exactly. There's a vertical threat and you have the possession tight end and, I think both are starters right away in the NFL, no doubt about it.
0: Brevin Jordan is that guy that that I think all the gym rats and the uh, the logistical freaks are going to love because he, he tested out of the gym. This guy has every measurable you could think of. The problem is at Miami, it was more just putting it together consistently, whereas Tommy Tremble, he's not the kind of guy that's going to be, you know, going 30 yards downfield and catching a long pass or anything like that he's going to be a very consistent dump off player someone that can block is has pretty consistent with blocking as well and his hands very good he'll be that security blanket kind of tight end but he's not someone that's going to wow you with with his athleticism he's going to wow you more with his football IQ more than anything else and that's where i think with players like tremble that's where their value definitely comes in and i agree that both uh, Brevin Jordan and Tommy Tremble are day one tight ends, at least in my opinion, just in different sort of styles for, uh, for me. All right, so let's go to the offensive tackles. And this is where I think Jake and I are going to be different from a lot of people just because, well, a lot of people have one guy on top and we simply don't. But I will say with this class, you don't need Sewell or Slater to get a quality tackle because I think this tackle class is very, very, very deep.
1: Yeah, it's not as good as last year um, in terms of top end talent. But still, it could be deeper. It definitely could be. Uh, So I guess I'll go first. I have Go uh, ahead.
0: Top five, please.
1: Yeah, I'm going to go with Rashawn Slater. We talked about this many times on the show before with him. I think he's a plug-and-play stud at left tackle. Penne Sewell is my number two. Again, not not a lot to hate. Definitely could project. I mean, in terms of the competition that he played in college, it was not of the quality Rashawn Slater was. So um, Sewell definitely has a lot of room to grow still. He's just 20 years old. Crazy to think about. Number three, here's where I differ from a lot of people. I have Liam Eikenberg as my third tackle. I think right away he's a plug and play for me at either tackle spot, and then I have Christian Dariusaw at number four, and then I have Tevin Jenkins at number five. Jake, that's that. <laughs> you know,
0: we actually have the same guys in our top five, just in a completely different
1: order. Okay. Yeah. No, I'm so, definitely cool with that. Go ahead. I have
0: Slater at one. Sewell at two, Darisol at three, Eichenberg at four, and then Tevin Jacobs at five. It's it, it's basically the same, and a lot of people uh, are down think, on Eichenberg. I listen, I think
1: Eichenberg is he is just a mean, mean, mean player. That's what I like. And, and an honorable mention for me, believe it or not, it was a lot closer um than many think is how about Brady Christensen at BYU? Another one that not many people are are talking about as well. An absolute monster. I mean, I watch a lot of Zach Wilson film. I'm like, who the hell? Like, how does he have so much time in the pocket? To f-? he had a lot of time, Zach Wilson. That was the number one thing I saw him. But still, under under pressure, he was just special. I don't want to get too too crazy about Zach Wilson. Now we're talking about Brady Christensen. But um, anyway, <laughs> yeah, he definitely was up there for me, and definitely has a compelling case to be that four or five slot in my rankings.
0: How about one more that I'll uh, give you a little bit of a deep sleeper for you? Trey Lance's uh, left tackle at North Dakota State, Dylan Redon's.
1: Yeah, I liked him too. He was right behind Christensen for me. Yeah. I mean, he is humongous. 6'6", 300 pounds. Needs some work probably, but
0: yeah. He needs some work. I thought when I saw him on film, I thought he was a little stiff. But that could be worked on for sure. He might. Translate better at right tackle versus left at the next level. But I think he, with his size alone, he could just absolutely manhandle people.
1: Yeah. How about Dallas with their second pick, second round pick. As a project, I mean, as a project
0: sort of tackle, I, I, I like it. Yeah. I, that's a thought that came to my mind. Yeah. I mean, listen, I don't, I don't have any qualms about that at all. Um, but I do want to talk about a guy that people do have, in their first round that we do not have in our top five. And that is Elijah veratucker
1: from USC. He, okay. He, he, uh, let me just, I have him as a guard. You do have him as a guard. Okay. I have him as a guard. I have I okay. have him as my top ranked guard.
0: Okay. See, I have him as my seventh tackle.
1: Yeah. He's a guard. He's a guard for me through and okay. through and a, and a, and a dominant guard. I, I think he's a Joe Tooney. 2.0 he can play tackle I just think he's going to be a dominant dominant guard in this okay. league and right. offers so, a lot of good versatility
0: okay so that's that's where we differ then all right I mean I personally I was about to say you know when we were to analyze him I was gonna say to you right away this to me screams like he is just better off at guard
1: than he's a guard he a tackle he reminds me a lot of Tristan Wirfs though from last year's draft yeah I think that's I think what so a, uh, yeah no but d- d- listen by far, my top ranked guard. I don't even think it's close. After that, with guards so like definitive, you know, offensive guard, he can play either. You know, it's funny, he could play literally any position on the offensive line. Like he is mm-hmm. Joe Tooney through and through. Yeah, for me. So yeah. Go ahead, though. I'm sorry. sorry no, to no, no.
0: On. I was. I, I'm. I'm happy that you. Uh, you cut me off there, so I'll save the. Uh, I'll stay talking about Elijah Vera Tucker until he. Uh, until he gets to the guards, but uh, this now gives me an opportunity to talk about the two guys at the top. Sean Slater and Penny Sewell. Uh, Jake, for you, what's the biggest
1: difference between Slater and Sewell for you? Before we do that, uh, no hitter in the White Sox game is confirmed. Carlos Rondon. Wow. Was it a no-no or was it a perfect game? It was a no hitter. Okay. That's what it says here in the alert. But anyway, uh, the big difference for me was, number one, just the overall, like when you watch the Pac-12, do you think of any dominant edge rushers, at all, like wh- the answer is the answer is no, no. So you, you put a physical freak like Sewell in there, he's going to be ragdoll ragdolling guys left and right, like not like nobody's business. That's especially in the run game, he's going to be dominant. But there was some hiccups in pass protection that a lot of people don't dig into when you really watch him in depth. And when you watch Rashawn Slater, especially against Chase Young, um, in the 2019 season, it's like wow. He completely made him a non-factor. The best pass-rushing prospect people talked about maybe ever, Chase Young. Made him a non-factor. And you look at the Big Ten overall, you have Michigan. Seems like they produce a good quality pass rusher every year, maybe even two. You look at um, Ohio State, another school that's uh, notorious for pass rushers, Penn State. So the overall competition definitely played a factor there. And, um, you know, I feel like he went up against more – of NFL high level NFL prospects, whereas Sewell didn't have that luxury. And that's where I, I separate the two. And Sewell's just 20 years old. He's still growing. Like he's still molding into his body. I think he's going to have a little bit of a transition period in the NFL next year that I just think Slater right away is going to be the better player. Maybe Sewell could fill out and, you know, gain more experience in the NFL and be a better player. Cause he's probably the more talented player. I would say but in terms of tape, Slater's got the best tape out of anybody in this class at the tackle position.
0: Preach. Preach. I couldn't have said that much better myself. I think if you're looking for if you're looking for someone that's going to be a mauler, if you're looking for someone that's going to be a complete beast of the line, is going to be physical, is going to really use his hands well. But his technique is going to be not as clean as you would maybe like then Sewell's probably your guy. If you're looking for someone who's going to be consistent, his technique is going to be impeccable. His mechanics are going to be flawless. He has – the tape for Rashawn Slater, I'm I'm not kidding. I have not seen an offensive lineman's tape that good since probably Quentin Nelson. And that's high, high praise because, I mean, this dude – is a beast. And there there was talk that Rashawn Slater could be a guard at the next level. No, 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 no,
1: no. No, I completely disagree with that. Absolutely not. No. He
0: is a plug and play left tackle from day
1: one. I I think there's three in this draft. My top three guys.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think I really love
1: Tevin Jenkins too. Like Yeah. No slight against him. This is a really talented tackle class. I think the top seven guys, you can't go wrong.
0: I agree. I agree. It is top-heavy with Slater and Sewell, but I think you probably have this tackle class. You probably have about, fair to say, about 10 to 15 really good tackle prospects that if you were to see them starting week one.
1: Yeah, I don't know. About 15, I think 10 is more accurate. Yeah.
0: Yeah, Yeah, 10. Yeah, it just goes to show you how good this uh, this tackle class most certainly uh, most certainly is. All right, so we go to the last position group that we are going to talk about, and we are going to go down the avenue of the interior offensive lineman. Um, I do not have Elijah Vera Tucker as a guard. Jake does, but if I did put him as a guard, he would be my top ranked guard, just for all intensive purposes. Uh, Jake.
1: Give us your guards. Guards slash centers, interior offensive line. I went with. Yep, that's fine. Um, I'm good with that. Elijah Vera Tucker, number one. Yep. I have Creed Humphrey as my number two. Okay. I have Landon Dickerson as my number three. Number four, I have Wyatt Davis. And number five, I have Trey Smith. Really love but- Humphrey. Go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I like Humphrey a lot, too. Um, My number one, I'm going to put Elijah Vera Tucker here. um, But my number two in this instance is, in fact, Creed Humphrey. I absolutely love him. Uh, My number three, I ended up going for for Landon Dickerson. My number four, I ended up going with Wyatt Davis. And then my number five, it was very tough between uh, Quinn Miners and the guy that I ended up going with, but I'm gonna go for someone that I thought was very under the radar. I'm going with Kendrick Green of Illinois. I think a yeah, very I thought, under the I radar. Ben Cleveland sort of guy. was
1: was in the mix for me, but Trey Smith, man, he gets his hands on you. It is over. Yeah, like, this guy is an absolute. If you just like big humans just demolishing little humans, watch Trey Smith because it is. It was like wow, watching you know, him.
0: You know what? When I watched Trey Smith's tape, it reminded me a lot of Creed Humphrey. Yeah. I have to say, I I literally thought I was watching the same guy.
1: Yeah, Creed Humphrey to me, I um, the Jets are really high on Creed Humphrey for anybody out there. Um, at 23, I would be a little surprised if the Jets didn't take him at 23 or 34 if he's still there for them. But uh, he's a plug and play center right away, and so is Landon Dickerson. Dickerson might be more talented, but the injuries scare me a little bit with him to where I have him behind Humphrey. That that's was the deciding factor um, in my rankings. Yeah,
0: I I would think so. I think Dickerson offers something a little bit different. He gives you that position versatility. Yeah, he's but a little he, older he too. He is a little older. Yeah, so you have to wor- you have to worry about that. I just my number one thing with Dickerson is he was a little bit i don't want to say inconsistent cuz i don't think inconsistent is the right word but there was just something about his tape which i left kind of underwhelmed if if that makes sense
1: no i i wouldn't i wouldn't go that far i would just say the biggest concern i have with him is obviously durability and then you know, you're about, what is he, 23, 24, if I'm 24. not mistaken? He's 24. He's 24. You know, you're beating up on kids that are 21. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. they're not fully developed. So maybe that would be a concern with me. But no, I, I thought he was plenty of consistent enough for me. Um, yeah. And definitely an NFL caliber center. Like, this is a guy that if he was healthy, I would say is a top 30 player in this draft. Definitely a first rounder for my money, that is.
0: Yeah, I, I listen, I don't think that he was underwhelming. I don't think his play was underwhelming. I just think the tape in general, I just thought I was getting something a whole lot more when looking at the much bigger picture with Landon Dickerson. And I, I I didn't get it, but I like him. I think if you get him on a proper NFL offensive line, he has all the intangibles because of course he went to Alabama where these kids are basically trained to, to be men.
1: 32 Tampa Bay makes a ton of sense for me with him.
0: I, I, I think so as well. I think that's a really, really good shout there, uh, there Jake. Well, that's going to be it for this edition of the Basement Talk Podcast. Remember to join us next week. Where we'll be going over the defensive players for this upcoming NFL draft. And then do not forget to stay tuned and subscribe to the Basement Talk Podcast when we do our mock draft, which should be released, actually, this time in around two weeks or so. You'll be hearing picks 16 to 32 on the basement talk podcast, then picks one to 15, you'll be hearing on the basement talk podcast fantasy show. So like I said, don't forget to subscribe. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and go check us out wherever you get your podcast. So that'll be it for us for Jake on bird. Bye-bye.